When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 281, and today we are talking about books being released on October 13th, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hey, hey, hey. Hello, friend. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm settling into fall weather, finally, maybe, kind of. (laughs) Praying for it. I went outside to get the mail. It's like a beautiful sunny day, and I went outside to get the mail, and I was like, "Ah, it's cold out here. I'm not ready for it to be that cold when the sun is out, but I'll get over it. It'll be summer again before you know it. Like, what that just happened? <laughs> yeah, I know I shouldn't but, complain, especially since we've been, you know, indoors a lot. Uh, but I am that, you know, it's seasons are a novelty to my California self. So I'm still like, ooh, trees. Like, it, yeah, so I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know why it took me this long to like consider these things. But the other day I was like, imagine if we lived someplace where we didn't have to worry about getting heating oil and didn't have to worry about it getting cold. Like, what would that be like? (laughs) Come to San Diego. Like one whole section of the year that we wouldn't have to plan for, you know, like layers and heating and all that stuff. It was crazy. What's funny is for us, I mean, we've, I've always considered that I still had to do those things. It wasn't until I actually talked to people that live in like real colder places. And I'm like, oh, okay. So like, you know, our little 50s, 60s rainy patch is not a thing that concerns most people. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No. I live in Maine. (laughs) And I have it pretty easy where I am. You know, like you go up to the top of the state or down. If you're from Maine, you say down in the state. And it's so cold. Um, But uh, this is my first week back at work. Like all of work. Oh, yeah. This podcast after my, my sabbatical. Um, It's fun. I feel rested and relaxed. Uh, it went by so fast, so, so fast. Um, I spent most of it, um, what did I do? I read books and uh, smoked cigarettes and watched Captain Kangaroo. And uh, that was about it. Yeah. Mostly I just read books. Um, but I'm ready to, to talk about books now. And yeah. Or talk about music from when I was a child. I'm super into listening to music from when I was a kid. That was like a lot of how I spent my vacation I think I don't know I found that a lot of people are like I've been seeking the comforts of when I was young and during this trying time and for me it's like yeah I want to listen to the Doobie Brothers and Traffic and even Dan Fogelberg which I will deny if anyone repeats that Uh, so that's what I've been up to but uh, before we get started we are going to hear from a sponsor okay uh, Vanessa, are you ready for me to start talking about books? I am ready, and I really, really like your first pick, so go ahead. Okay. My first pick today is The Once and Future Witches by Alex Harrow. Alex Harrow is the author of 10,000 Doors of January, which came out last year, maybe two years ago now. It was a lot of fun. I actually enjoyed this one more 
uh, it is a standalone, uh, according to to Alex Harrow, uh, and it's a good size. It's like five hundred something pages. Um, but it's basically the story of how once upon a time witchcraft was a real thing, witchcraft and dragons and magic and all the stuff. And slowly it was kind of sort of what's the word I want um, snuffed. There we go, snuffed out uh, from the world. And you know, witches were hunted and persecuted and driven underground. And it was basically just another way for men in society to keep women under control and keep them down. Uh, and so now in this book. It is 1893, and we have the Eastwood sisters, and they have come together at a rally for women's right to vote. Uh, Many years ago, they left their home. Uh, They have a very violent and abusive father, and they parted ways. Um, Now, one of them is wanted for murder, uh, but they meet up at this rally, and they decide that they are going to bring witchcraft back uh it, oh i just thought of a great they're bringing hexy back <laughs> oh my goodness someone stopped me um they're so they decide to bring witchcraft back in order to help the cause uh and they are going to come up against opposition both real and magical there are some bad forces out there who don't want them to succeed but they are tired of their sex and their roles in society uh being used to hold them down It's just this great tale of strong women who have had enough and they are willing to risk everything to make a difference in the world. It'll give you all the sisterhood feels. I don't have a sister, um, but I'm assuming, like, if you have a sister, it'll be like, oh, sisters, Um, because I was like, oh, sisterhood. Uh, And it'll, you know, it's witchy and magical. It's the perfect time of year. It's a great, you know, book to start the fall off with. Uh, So I really enjoyed it. And Vanessa, it sounds like you did too. So it is The Once and Future Witches by Alex Harrow. Really, really loved 10,000 Doors of January and had like high expectations that I wasn't sure were going to go pan out. But yeah, it really did. It was really fun. And I absolutely did a real life spit take partially on mute. To ringing hexy back. <laughs> it just came to me. <laughs> I had actual tea in my mouth too, and I was just like, oh, oh, oh uh, we we like to have fun. Okay, <laughs> so I'll just go with my next pick here, which or my first pick. I, I know how time works, which is in the study with the wrench by Diane Peter Freund. I was really excited that this second book in this series came out because I hadn't read the first and I hate waiting. So it was nice to be able to read the first and the second. This is a middle grade mystery series that is based on the Clue board game. And it's just so, so much fun. The first book is called In the Hall with the Knife. And a little bit about that one, just to kind of set the premise here without spoilers, is that the this book is set in, actually, Maine. In a, yeah, Maine? Maine or Vermont? No, I think it's Maine, in a really re- remote part of Maine at this really fancy boarding school called Blackbrook Academy. And we meet a number of students who go to this school, and their names are all, as you might expect, stuff like Scarlet and Peacock and Plum and Mustard. And I cannot remember, because it's been a couple of weeks now, whether it's because it's like end of break or like, you know, end of the, the school term. I think that's what it is. But point being that the school is mostly empty. There are a few students that are still there just, you know, for timing purposes or what have you. And they're getting ready to travel when they get word that this really massive storm is about to hit the area. 
And it's supposed to be bad, like really, really bad. So the few students that are there, you know, try to kind of pack up and leave. And a few of them make it out. But a lot of the others essentially get stranded. It's like you're not getting anywhere on or off this mountain where the school is because it's just like that treacherous or it's going to be that treacherous outside. So the students that do remain, along with a staff member named Mrs. White and the headmaster of the school, um, Professor Body are all instructed to huddle up at one particular like student hall called I think Tudor Hall and it's the most like removed it's like the the student residence that's on the furthest part of the campus it's high enough up that they think this is going to be the best place for everybody to kind of hunker down in during the storm so they do and then this is you know all in the description so it's not a spoiler but while they're all you know just they're trying to figure out how to weather it out, hoping everything is okay because, you know, the power's gone out and they're just, you know, starting to get a little creeped out because it does seem pretty ominous. They discover the body of Professor Body, <laughs> the headmaster body, in the uh, conservatory, I think. And so then from there on out, it is like a traditional whodunit where you're trying to figure out, you know, which of the, who, who did it? Is it the students? Is it some, you know, who is it? Is it a nefarious third party? And... We slowly learn as well that each of these characters that we've been introduced to has a bit of a secret that they're trying to hide from everybody else. So then this next book picks up where that left off. The first book does kind of wrap up the mystery, but it also leaves a lot of kind of loose ends to do with the students themselves. So it definitely sets it up for like, hey, there's another book coming and you should absolutely, I think, read these in order for those purposes. And so in this one, you know, Blackbrook is now like a complete disarray. Lots of students haven't returned. Some of them have, and the ones that have have now been affectionately done or, you know, given the moniker of the murder crew. And then another staff member is found dead, and this anonymous threat sort of begins to target the members of that murder crew. And it's, you know, a lot of those secrets that I talked about are going to start to come to light. So again, it's just such a fun series. I actually picked it up because... Katie from our Red or Dead podcast talked about how it kind of pulled her out of her reading slump and I was in one more or less around the time that I decided to read this and it was just one of those like one sitting super fun especially if you are a fan of like murder mystery stuff that's you know trends towards the cozy side so it was oh so great and I love me like a you know book set at a boarding school with some kind of like closed you know locked room mystery setting plus the weather it was just such a good read for fall or both of them were so that, again, is In the Study with the Wrench by Diane Peter Freund. And there is one more book in the series coming, I think, next year. It's that main weather I was telling you about. Yep. I loved the first one. I think I think I talked about it when it was on last year, but I haven't read the new one yet, but I have to get it. Um, my next pick is a fantastic novella that I know many people have been excited for, and it's so awesome. It is called Ring Shout by P. Jelly Clark. It's set in Macon, Georgia in 1922, and it looks at a chapter in America's long book of racism and violence in its past, uh, but with a supernatural twist. The main character is named Maurice, and she is friends with several other black women, and they fight monsters. Uh, that is, you know, monsters are real in this, in this story, uh, and they are actually the uh, Ku Klux Klan. The Ku Klux Klan, they differentiate between them. The Ku Klux, as they refer to them, are actual monsters. And then Klan are humans who have joined the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, And it takes place in 1922, like I said, but it focuses on, like, how many years earlier uh, in Stone Mountain in Georgia, these these very racist 
men started this magic ritual and got evil powers and now some of them actually turn into monsters and Maurice and her friends are able to see them when other people are not. Um, And so the description of the monsters makes them sound kind of like the xenomorphs from Alien, but they're like bone white uh, and they, they take human form but when they're challenged, like when Maurice and her friends fight them, uh, they their real selves come out. Uh, and Maurice, for reasons that we will find out later, uh, has a magic sword. Uh, she was given this sword. She was chosen to wield this sword uh, years earlier. And now, along with her friend Sadie, who is a crack shot with her uh, rifle Winnie that never leaves her side, kind of like Jane loves Vera, Winnie is Sadie's baby. And there's also another woman named Chef who uh, dressed up as a man and fought as a soldier in World War One, and she's all about like tactical planning, and she's also a great fighter. Uh, and they decide, you know, to take on the clan. Um, and now they uh, live with a bunch of other women who are working on other things. There's like a scientist who's who's t- teaching them like how to make explosives, and this is their job. Like they are t- out to destroy the the Ku Klux Klan. And we know, like I was saying, something happened to Maurice, like something terrible happened. Um, And when she wields this sword, she hears the voices of ancestors and also a voice from her past. Uh, But now a new clan member moves to town and she can see him like in her dreams. He somehow manages to get inside her head and he's big and he's bad and he wants to tangle with Maurice and her friends, but he also has an offer for Maurice that he doesn't think that she's going to be able to refuse. It's a great monster book. It's a great horror adventure book, but it's also a great examination of the ignorance and hate that drives racists and, you know, gives the Ku Klux Klan this, like, supernatural origin story, like, where their evil came from. Obviously, there are trigger warnings for racism, racialized violence, uh, gore. It's, it's pretty bloody. And also um, mentions of assault. But it is just nonstop action from beginning to end. And it was so fantastic. It is called Ring Shout. And it is by P. Jelly Clark. I didn't realize that was a novella. Yeah, well, I mean, it's 200 pages. Uh, like, I, I've, I always say, like, I don't know what makes a novella. Like, they call it a novella, but I'm like, 200 pages is a book, too. I don't know. Because it's also technically a book, but who knows? I'm Somebody going will with tell novella. me someday. I like it. I like it. We're going with it. <laughs> okay, so I will go on about my next pick, which is A Golden Fury by Samantha Coho, which was so much fun. This is a YA historical fantasy it opens in 18th century France in, well, in Paris, but also in Normandy. And Taya is an English teen. She's a scientist and a scholar who wants very much to be an alchemist, just like her very famous and very brilliant mother. And they are, her mom and her are kind of going through some stuff. Like Taya was until recently her mother's partner and they'd been working pretty tirelessly to create the legendary, you know, philosopher's stone, which among other things is supposed to, you know, heal all ills and grant immortality and turn any metal into, you know, pure gold. So big deal. And then right when they were getting really, really close, at least all signs, you know, pointed to to them being really close, seemingly out of nowhere, her mother just like locks her out of the lab and completely uninvolves her in all of this, you know, the process of her, her, her studies, her experiments. 
Taya thinks it's maybe about a boy that she had, you know, feelings for. Her mother made it pretty clear that she was to have nothing to do with him, that, you know, love ruins everything sort of thing. She's very much chosen to live a solitary existence. And so the boy ends up moving away, but she knows that Taya is still secretly writing letters to him and she doesn't really dig it. So Taya thinks maybe that's what this all has to do with. What she does know is that her something is up with her mother because one day, seemingly out of the blue, when Taya decides to kind of go poking around in the lab to figure out like what why would my mom lock me like out of all this and we were working to, so closely together like is she jealous like is she is she wanting to, is she selfish or she want the like, discovery for herself and when she goes into the lab she sees a lot of notes and stuff that indicate that her mom might be in an interesting space kind of mentally but what she also discovers is that there is this substance in the lab that is very clearly like a it's like the next the last step before this white, like, you know, alchemical substance becomes the philosopher's stone. So she's like, yo, WTF, my mom figured this out. Like, oh my God. The mother comes into the lab right when, you know, she she sees this and just has a fit. And in this fit, wherein she, I think, attacks Taya, even like slaps her, she actually takes the substance and just lobs it at the wall and destroys it. And that's when Taya officially knows, like, something isn't right. Like, why would my mother go through all this work to destroy this? We, from there, learn a whole bunch of information, actually right before then, learn part of this, which is that her mother has arranged for a man that Taya thinks is actually just supposed to be another one of her mother's many patrons, because her mother's really good at popping from patron to patron to, you know, pay for her experiments. But she's actually asked this man to please take Taya with him to England to live with the father that Taya's never even met, doesn't know anything about him or what his name is, because there are, you know, whispers that revolution is about to break out in France, and she's worried that her English daughter will not be safe if and when it does. And then things get real interesting from there. You know, Taya discovers through her mother's notes that there might be and actually is this curse that's supposed to say that anybody who gets close to making the stone essentially loses their sanity. There are some nefarious forces and, you know, individuals who know that Taya knows these secrets and that she might be close to creating the stone for herself. And so then that becomes a thing. It's just like a really fun magical story you know based in 1800s france like i said that's got all that you know alchemy and just lots of fun stuff and a romance that did take an unexpected turn i didn't it wasn't like the typical way that i thought it was going to turn out so this was just a lot of fun especially if you like you know historical fiction with fantasy and all that uh, like in like alchemy type of stuff and that again is a golden fury by samantha coho all right my next pick is tiny nightmares very short tales of horror edited by Lincoln Michelle and Nacielli Nyoto. And it is perfect for this time of year. It is these little tiny, as you can tell from this, the title, tiny bite-sized delicious stories of horror. And you have your usual, you know, serial killers and vampires and monsters, but several of these stories also examine racism and global warming, um, social media, hate groups, illness, like how all these things uh, frighten and, you know, alarm us. Um, Jack Jemick has a story, Stephen Graham Jones, who is like Book Riot favorite, uh, Lillian Rivera, Ryan Alamar Scott, who had an amazing collection now that I'm saying that, the 
title is gone from my head, but he's incredible. Um, and my, my favorite, Kevin Brockmeyer, has a story. But there are, like, dozens of authors. And it's split up into sections, and the section titles are Heads, Hearts, Limbs, and Viscera. So I was like, I'm so in for this. Um, and I went looking through it, and I think Ryan Al- Amalar... I think I said his name wrong before. It's Ryan Amalar Scott uh, has the shortest story in the collection. They're each like a page, page and a half at least, but some of them are like three or four pages. Um, but Ryan Amalar Scott has the shortest story, which is like this really haunting story about a traffic stop. Uh, Stephen Graham Jones, he dives into vampires this time. It's really fun. And like they had a collection that came out uh, last year called Tiny Crimes, which is mystery stories so if perhaps you want to read short stories but you're you're like oh i don't know where to start or you're just looking for like really tiny ones that are fun to like get you into reading short stories or if you just like to read a short story a day and you want to make that possible this is a great collection as well as tiny crimes which came out last year Uh, this one is tiny nightmares very short tales of horror edited by lincoln michelle and nachielli nyoto Oh my gosh, people and, used to ask, I'm so sorry, what? I mean to cut you off, but people used oh, no, to ask ahead. me for comps for tiny crimes all the time at the bookstore because they are just like just perfect little bite-sized stories. And that was really yeah. hard to come up with. I didn't know that this was coming. That's pretty great. Yeah, it. it's also, the cover is like bright, bright red and pink and it just assaults your brain in like the best way. It's so great. Uh, so now we're going to hear from a sponsor. Okay, what do you have for us next? Ooh, I'm so excited about this one. I like all my picks this week, but I've been really looking forward to this one. And that is The Midnight Bargain by C.L. Polk. C.L. Polk is such an amazing writer. I love her. She's the author of Witchmark and all the other books. I think there are three total now in the Kingston cycle. And this is a new work of fantasy from her that's set in a magical world that's reminiscent of Regency England. She tends to, she also did that with Kingston cycle. It's set in either Regency or Edwardian England, I I can't quite remember, but with, you know, kind of these fantastical twists. So in The Midnight Bargain, our main character is Beatrice Claiborne. And when we meet her, she is on her way to a dress fitting. She's literally in a carriage with her, um, oh my God, the word escaped me, like maid companion person. (laughs) Handmaiden? No, maid, maid companion person. We're going with that. And when she's she's sitting there and she gets this overwhelming feeling this like premonition sense whatever and jumps out of the carriage like whoops gotta go and books it to this bookshop that's across the like square and you should know she is a sorceress she has you know magical abilities and she senses that there is this super rare grimoire in the shop one that she's been searching for pretty desperately so she's thinking, yes, I've done it. It's mine. You know, mwahaha. But right before she, I think, went, goes to, you know, officially purchase it, and she's trying to keep cool and calm and collected so that this bookseller person doesn't try to jack her on the price when he realizes how bad she wants it. But right before she can, another sorceress and her brother, the Levans, walk in and essentially take the book from right out under her and like, bye, <laughs> and they leave. So the reason this is so devastating to Beatrice is that... All she wants is to be a magus, so to be able to practice magic as a profession, you know, a calling. But in this society that she lives in, women aren't allowed to practice magic once they get married. And it is, I mean, like a real deal that is enforced via a 
marital collar that you have to wear once you get married that essentially, you know, stilts or um, stunts, sorry, your, your powers and you are not able to practice magic ever again until I think, I can't remember if it's until your husband dies or uh, something to that effect, but I think it's until you're a widow, you know, if you reach that point. She hates this part of society, doesn't want anything to do with it. So the whole purpose of getting this grimoire is to be able to essentially perform like the necessary ritual to become a full-blown sorceress. And then she'll get to, you know, go off and like do whatever she wants. (sighs) Side note, one of the reasons that they don't allow women to be sorceresses is that there is this fear that, you know, magical women will give birth to magical children. And they describe it in a way that 100% reminded me of the whole like immortal children thing in Twilight. So that just gave me a chuckle. (laughs) But anyway, so the side note to all of this, you know, plan that she's concocted is, you know, two, well, two problems. One is that she essentially makes a bargain with a spirit to get a hold of this grimoire, you know, come hell or high water. And she she strikes this uh, midnight bargain. But that bargain ends with something that the spirit wants from her, which is that the spirits always want to live. They want to experience like human experiences. And so what the spirit wants is for her to kiss a man. So at this ball, she goes and she does end up kissing the brother of that sibling pair that, you know, took the book from her. And the problem there is that the guy, like that kiss is not awful. And also that the guy seems to be really progressive and have very interesting views on how women should be treated. He seems to agree with Beatrice that, you know, the way that women's magic is taken from them is maybe not the way they should do it. In his, where he's from, they actually don't force women to wear the collars, but like in this society, she would have to. So she's kind of pondering that, pondering life when she finds out from her sister that her family is broke, like dead broke. And the reason that she's been being forced to go to all these balls and stuff is that her dad has put every last penny the family has into this season because marrying her is the family's only hope for survival at this point. So now she's, you know, facing this awful decision. It's like, do I go ahead with what I want to do, which is to find a way to get this grimoire, become a sorceress, live my best magical life, but also maybe like lose out on this really impossibly wonderful man and break my father's heart? Or do I save my family, go with the guy that I think I might have this real potential for, but then lose my every hope and dream of ever being magical and having to wear this like awful color. The setting is great. As always, the world building in this is really fantastic. It is like there's very, the the characters are described from a very like diverse viewpoint, which is fantastic that it's because, you know, a lot of the things I like to read that are set in Regency times are not incredibly diverse. So it's nice to see that. And then obviously the marital or marital, if I could use words, (laughs) um, collar thing is its whole, it's a whole analogy for the way that, you know, women are treated that was just so like, mm, like fist pumpy to read about. And then again, the magic is just like, oh, so lush and fantastic. So yeah, I'm gonna stop talking because I'm going on for a while. Such a fun book. That is The Midnight Bargain by C.L. Polk. All right. I just got that in the mail yesterday. So I'm looking forward to reading Yay. it. Plus the cover is so beautiful. It is amazing. So beautiful. My last pick for today is actually from last week. Uh, I didn't get to talk about this one, and I really enjoyed it. It is called I Hope You're Listening by Tom Ryan. It's about a young woman named Delia. She's 17 years old, and she is a high school student, but she is also the host of a podcast called Radio Silent, which is about missing persons and 
listeners of the podcast send tips and emails about cases that they've heard about or that they might have seen these people that she mentions on this podcast. And it's a very popular podcast, but it's also a secret. No one knows that she is the seeker, the host of this podcast. And she's been doing it for a while now. And her reason is that she has her own case. When she was 10 years old, she was playing in the woods with her friend Sibby and something happens and Sibby is taken and Delia is left behind and now she is the girl who was left behind. Uh, and it changed her. Um, she's she's very tough. She doesn't feel like she needs anybody. Um, she does not care about what anybody thinks about anything. Um, you know. But Sibby's case was never solved. Delia doesn't remember much that she could tell the, the police and they never found Sibby. Um, her parents moved her out of that home across town uh, but, you know, she still thinks about it all the time. And now she's working on her podcast and it comes. the news comes out that a young girl whose family moved into Delia's old house has been taken. Like, she's missing. And it seems to sort of be related to the taking of Sibby. And now, all of a sudden, Delia has this case that she can possibly solve. Like, it's happened right under her nose again, and she failed Sibby, she feels, so maybe she can find this young girl that's missing. Um, Delia has a, a best friend named Burke. He's the only person that knows that Delia uh, does the Radio Silent podcast. Um, and he thinks that she should use the show to talk about uh, Sibby's case, and now the case of this young girl. But Delia is really worried that if she does, they'll be able to trace the the host of the show back to her. People are like, who is the seeker? We're going to find out who it is. You know how the internet always is. Like, they want to know everything. You know, find out who Alana Ferrante is. You know, like, they have to know everything all the time. So she's she doesn't want to use, like, her show to talk about it. You know, and so this is, like, a, a source of tension between her and Burke because Burke was also Sibby's friend. Uh, and now this is happening. He thinks that, that she can solve it. Um, there's also complications because a new family has moved in across the street from where Delia lives now. They have a daughter named Sarah, who is Delia's age, and Delia is kind of falling for Sarah. And she, you know, she wants to tell her about her podcast, but you know, she's afraid you know to trust anybody. Um, and now that there is close scrutiny on the town that Delia lives in again, she thinks it's just a matter of time before reporters track her down as as the girl who who wasn't taken in that case, not as like the seeker, but as the, the girl who was left behind. Um, and so she's determined to solve it herself so that she can make all of this go away. It's a really good mystery. It's a, it's a good look at, you know, trauma and, you know, uh, the exploitation of, of society and feelings by the internet, um, you know, because there's, a lot of great use of technology, but there's also there's some reporters who circumvent sort of some of the laws, uh, you know, using technology like it's a new thing, you know, that didn't used to happen. You can get around things by, you know, leaking information that goes out there. You know, you can't take it back even if you weren't supposed to say it. Um, I really liked her friendship with Burke. I liked her romance with Sarah. Uh, and I just want to give a content warning for child endangerment and abduction and mentions of child harm and murder. And I just also want to mention one more thing, because there was one small thing that bothers me in this book. And I don't know, this happens to readers all the time. Like you read a book and then you read something else in like the next book or like maybe the book after that. That's like the same thing. You're like, wow, how did I manage to read two books with this like, you know, possums wearing chaps, you know, in a row? It's amazing. Uh, and so I read this book and then I read two other books after it where like Delia is 17 years old and she's trying to solve a crime and she goes driving around 
to like talk to adults that might have been involved with people who might have been responsible for what happened. And they're like, oh, yeah, come in. Like she goes to their homes and they're like, oh, yeah, come in. Let's, you know, we'll talk. And I'm just like, and this happened in a couple other books. And I'm like, do people let teenagers into their home? Like, I just, I don't think so. I don't know. It, it was like, it's bugging me. So maybe it's because I don't have children and I don't understand how this works. But I, like, if a kid showed up at my door and was like, can I ask you some questions? I would not be like, sure, come on in. But I don't know. I guess maybe it's okay because everybody does it in all the books. And I'm, I'm babbling about it, but it's just a thing I keep thinking about. Uh, but I did love this book. And it's called I Hope You're Listening by Tom Ryan. Please immediately direct me to a book with possums and chaps, if you know. <laughs> <laughs> now you have to write one. Uh, this has been the second spit take of our episode. <laughs> what a day to make a big old cup of tea. Okay, so I will finish this out here with a book that I'm so excited to talk about for reasons, which you'll see in a second, and that is Rural Voices, 15 Authors Challenge Assumptions About Small Town America, edited by Nora Shalloway Carpenter. So this book features this really incredible set of 15, as you may have guessed, contributors that include voices like David Bowles, Nora Shalloway Carpenter, S.A. Cosby, who's the writer of the book riot kind of favorite book right now, uh, Blacktop Wasteland, Shamile Saed Mendes, who just recently released Furia. Uh, let's see who else is in this. Monica Rowe, Vita Bybee, Nessa Gruck, Rainey Hopsons, and our very own Tirza Price. So Tirza is one of our contributing editors, writes all kinds of cool stuff for the site. She's also on this very podcast, so all ATB listeners will know her. And so this book is... Kind of like it says you know, in the subtitle, it challenges assumptions what, about what people think of when they hear the word rural. So rural... Unfortunately, a lot of folks here and immediately leap to a huge set of stereotypes. The people and culture that are attached to rural settings, you know, in small town America, especially, um, well, yes, obviously I said in America, but here in the U.S. have been mocked and stereotyped and just generally misunderstood. So this collection of stories from authors that you may have picked up on, as I just described who they are, come from all sorts of different ethnicities, sexual orientations, socioeconomic status, and parts of the country, which is also a thing I have realized in speaking to people when you say rural, they don't always recognize that rural can mean literally anywhere in the U.S., including Alaska. But they give us these stories that are, some are short stories, some are like prose, poetry, some are graphic, like comics you know, short stories and personal essays and anecdotes from their real lives growing up in rural settings that are, you know, they aim to hopefully dispel some of that ner- uh, negative, pardon me, stereotyping. So the stories are really interesting. There's one about a young man who grew up in a Texas border town whose family has stood up to oppression against, you know, Mexican-American peoples, but who in turn, like, you know, the family themselves essentially enact oppression of their own members of their own family who have come out as queer. There's a young Puerto Rican woman who is competing to be the rodeo queen in her small Utah town, a town that is not, you know, all that used to seeing brown people like her, period, and they stereotype her kind of up and down. There's a story about a queer teen who has never felt like she really fit in at school. And on some level, it's because she's come out, but it's also because she actively takes part in 4-H, like, you know, all the way into high school. And she lives for this the fair, like the county city fair, where she actually enters pigs for competition, you know, every year. 
takes it very seriously. It's like a source of pride for her. And then she's very shocked when this girl that she's had a crush on for like quite some time, who is new to the area and I think is of Colombian descent, uh, asks her out. Like it stuns her that this beautiful girl would like be asking her out in this, you know, tiny town where she thinks everybody thinks she's the weird like farm girl. And then there's this really creepy little short story that's set in Alaska. It's creepy, not scary. It's just definitely more creepy. But it's about a girl who's trapping in the woods when a creature approaches her cabin. It's just, again, these stories are all so different from one another and worked. They're definitely not all sunshine, which I appreciate. They're not trying to be like, life is perfect in rural settings because life is perfect nowhere. So much as just to say like, hey, maybe the stereotypes that you have come up with for small town America are not like all a true and then B are just way more like um, this, the the makeup of people and places here are just way more complex than, you know, folks give them credit for a couple things that I do want to point out is like, I am going through some of the Goodreads reviews for this. I was very amazed to see that a lot of people were like, um, there's a lot of farms and like livestock in this. And it's like, well, not that, you know, everybody who lives in a rural setting works on a farm. That's far from true. But like, yes, there are a lot of farms and, and talk of animals. I will also issue a trigger warning. Liberty, close your ears for, you know, discussions of animal slaughter, because a lot of this is, you know, talks of farms and, you know, animals get raised specifically for that purpose. So there is that. And just, you know, beware of that going in. It's not in all the stories, but it is in some but overall, I just I, I'm really into books that do this, that take a stereotype and try to undo them, because in particular right now in the place that we're in, stereotyping about any group of people is probably not getting us anywhere on a much larger scale. And this, you know, this collection of 15 stories that are really quick for the most part, but that really gets to the point of saying like, hey, we contain multitudes was a really welcome thing to read about right now. So. That is Rural Voices, 15 Authors Challenge Assumptions About Small Town America, edited by Nora Shalloway Carpenter. Okay, so we had new books. We had a Statler's Brothers reference. Uh, like, I realize, like, I'm so old that, like, people probably didn't realize when I said I was smoking cigarettes and watching Captain Kangaroo, that's, like, a Statler's Brothers song. Um, I just, <laughs> I don't get out much. Uh, let's see, what else? We had Possums and Chaps. We had two spit takes. Uh... What are you going to read next? I am already started, or I, I am already started. I already started, because <laughs> uh, I, you know, it's like all witch channel all the time here. Magic Lessons, which is the new Alice Huffman. It's the prequel to Practical Magic, and it's just so good. Oh, I can't wait to keep reading it. I should say, um, Jen Zink, who is out this week, but normally does our audio editing. Uh, she just got three kittens, and she named them after the witches from Hocus Pocus. No, she did not. Oh, my gosh. I yes, didn't notice that. So she, she named them! Yep. Yep. It's pretty funny. So she had, like, three kittens, which is, like, it gives me so much anxiety. I'm just, like, I'm so tired <laughs> from having two, you know? And so, but she's hanging in there, but she's out this week, but I just thought that was funny. Um, I am going to read The Red Shirt, which comes out today... Uh, I have not had a chance to get to it yet, um, but it was longlisted for the 2020 Center for Fiction's first novel prize, and it says here that it challenges tenacious stereotypes about the hyper-masculine world of American football. So it sounds really good. Um, speaking of football, I read uh, The Brightlands by John Fram the other day, and I can't say that I've ever read anything like it. I spent, like, the last quarter of the book going, what, what is happening? What, what is happening? I don't know if anyone else out there has read it. Um, I thought it was a mystery about, like, a missing football player, but 
it is not like anything I've ever read. Uh, and no offense to John Fram, I can't say that I loved it, but I will not forget it anytime soon. Um, so if you want to read something that's like, what is happening? Um, I would recommend that book as well. Uh, and that is it for us today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Dr. Baker, who is doing our sound editing this week while Jen Zink is out. Uh, if you want to talk to us about the Statler Brothers or possums wearing chaps, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. We like to hang out on Instagram. Vanessa is Buenos Dias SD. I am Franzen Comes Alive. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.